chapter 14, um, and I'll just, by way of introduction, we'll, we'll start in, in verse 1, and this is really continuing on uh, a series that uh, Pastor Dave started last week in, in Acts chapter 13, and so we'll be following chronologically right after that, and in this, in this series of, of Paul's sermons in, in Acts. Um, so uh, just, just a quick context. Uh, so you have this uh, Paul, uh, formerly Saul, who is the great uh, persecutor of the church, becomes the great missionary of the church. And we find him there last week in Acts 13, and uh, he's uh, ministering there in his home church of Antioch of, of Syria and uh, ministering with uh, other uh, pastor teachers there. And that's where the Holy Spirit calls um, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, to, to, the, to the work that the Holy Spirit called them to. And so they be- begin this great uh, first missionary journey. Uh, they set sail uh, in the Mediterranean Sea and head for Cyprus, uh, spend some time there. Then they go to the, the north uh, mainland uh, there in present-day Turkey and comes to uh, Antioch of, of Pisidia, not to be confused with uh, Antioch of Syria. There's two different Antiochs there. Um, you could... Um, you could see it in, in, your, in your Bible maps there. But Antioch of, of Bethsaida is where he uh, goes, where we saw last week. Paul preaches this sermon to the, the Jews. Uh, many believe, uh, but many do not. And uh, as often is the case with Paul, uh, uh, there's division with the gospel. And there are people there in Antioch of Syria who um, cause trouble. And he is uh, driven out of Antioch of, of Bethsaida. And so that brings us to uh, where Paul and Barnabas next travel to, and that is uh, Iconium. And just uh, also, I, I want to, I know Pastor Dave read verse 15. I want to uh, read before that in Acts 14, 1 through 7, just, to, just again to get some context of this um, first missionary journey. Uh, verse 1, <clears throat> now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, with their rulers, to mistreat, mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Uh, so this is sort of a familiar pattern that we see as Paul is on his uh, missionary journeys in Antioch. He's driven out of Antioch. He comes. He travels. Um, some 100 miles south from Antioch and arrives at the, in the city of Iconium. Again, there's, there's people who believe. There's people who do not believe. There's division. And in this, this particular situation, um, they uh, stir up this plan to plan to stone Paul. Paul and Barnabas learn of this, uh, this plan, and they uh, flee from the city to go into Lystra and Der- Derby. And uh, so beginning in verse 8 is where we'll spend the... Uh, is our primary text, but before I read that um, verse 8, 
Um, just to just to remind us, you know, we're we're reading here in the Acts of the Apostles. This is this is real history. This is not a legend or fable. These things really happened, and I think you know we, we're uh, aware of that. But um, are we also aware that this is, in a matter of sorts, a playbook? A play. This is uh, yes. This should be studied. This should be learned. But um, um, no good football player uh, would uh, take his playbook and throw it aside and say, Coach, you know, I, I don't need this. I know how to play football. I'm ready. Just put me in the game. Okay, he would not last long on that team. That playbook was, is meant to be studied and, and used, and so he can perform on the football field. I think in, I look at Acts, it is real history, and, it, and there's so much we can learn from that. But it's, it's also it's, it's meant for us for living, for how we live the Christian life, both individually and collectively as, as a church. And so it's, it's, it is a memoir of, of Paul, inspired memoir uh, of Paul, but it's also a playbook for us. We can learn from the past to know how we can live um, today in, in the present. So I just thought we would keep that in mind. Let me... Uh, read in verse 8 um, and down a ways. So Paul is now um, traveling to um, Lystra, which is some, some 100 miles away from Iconium. So ne- verse 8, now at Lystra there was a, a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted... To offer sacrifice with the crowds. This first point in the in the outline uh, you'll see in, in your bulletin is misunderstanding, misunderstanding to the gospel. And I think we we see this uh, uh, clearly here in, in Lystra. There was a, a misunderstanding before the before the gospel was given. Um, Paul is uh, there. He's he's preaching in, in Lystra, and this is um, mainly a Gentile city. There's not many Jews here. And because uh, otherwise he would have went to the synagogue. There's no synagogue here to go to, as he usually goes. And he knows he's preaching and he notices uh, this cripple, uh, this cripple who's not uh, lame from birth. And uh, just an amazing uh, statement. He looks intently uh, at this cripple and he sees that he has faith to be made well. And I think it's just a, an amazing statement. And he says in a, a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And uh, immediately, this, this cripple, lame from birth, muscles has, has atrophied over time. They are formed, they are strengthened and developed. And he, he doesn't say, okay, could someone help me uh, get to my feet? He, he, he leaps up and stands up upright and um, begins walking. And uh, just, just an amazing event. Can you imagine uh, being there? Could you uh, imagine being Barnabas in, in his shoes? And uh, you, you hear um, Paul say this. Now, in Iconium, in the city before, there were signs and wonders. 
But this one was the first one that's kind of laid out specifically what happened. And, um, and so you might be thinking, so Barnabas was, what, Paul, isn't this a little presumptuous to say to this man, stand up, uh, arise, and, and walk? Um, but he does, and uh, miraculously he's, he's healed, and he's able to, to walk, and uh, he's made well. Um, now, you know, I was, as I was studying through this passage, and uh, this is, uh, was debating whether to go into this, but this, I just felt like I had to cover this as an aside. Um, I, you know, I just said in, in, in beginning that Acts is, is sort of a, a playbook. We must be very careful here. We, we must be careful when reading any portion of, of especially of narrative in Scripture, to, to say, okay, um, this is in the Bible, this is what I need to do. Uh, I, I've heard the story, maybe you have, of the, of the person who said, you know, I'm going to flip through the pages of, of the Bible, and wherever uh, it opens, I'm going to blindly put my finger on it, and whatever that says, I'm going to do it. That's going to be the Lord's will for my life. And so this person did that, and they read the portion of Scripture that said, and Judas went and hanged himself. Okay, that would be ridiculous to uh, take Scripture in, in, in that way and say, okay, um, whatever it says here, I'm, I'm going to absolutely do. We, we always take the Word of God as the whole counsel. We compare Scripture with Scripture. Um, what happened here? Um, uh, so so in, in saying that, uh, I, I would not find a lame man and say, okay, uh, stand up and rise to your feet. And then if he does not do that, don't say, okay, well, you know, he must not have had enough faith to, to, be, to be healed. Okay. Uh, that's that's you, you hear that you, you look at some of the uh, evangelists on TV who preach this sort of message. If you have enough faith, you can be healed of that lameness, of that blindness, of that de- deafness, of that back pain, of that cancer. And if you're not healed, well, you must not have enough faith. Be careful of uh, buying that bill of goods. There was something unique and special in this uh, ministry that God had given Paul. Uh, He had granted him this authority as an apostle in confirming the the message that he brought with these signs and and wonders. In Ephesians 2.20, it talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone, cornerstone. You are not an apostle, capital A. You have not seen Christ in the flesh walking on this earth you are not charged with the foundation, uh, founding the early church. It's already been founded. Um, we, we, must real, now, um, we must realize there's something special here and unique what we find in Acts. And we should not claim this uh, apostolic gift of signs and wonders. Um, now, can we still pray for healing? Absolutely. We, can, we still and we should bring uh, you know, ailments to the Lord. First uh, Peter 5, 7. Uh, cast all your anxieties on him, including any uh, physical ailment, for he cares for you. But we don't pray presumptuously. We don't presume that, okay, the Lord must heal me if I have enough faith. We pray submissively, submissively in faith. And I feel like I just need to share that on the side with you uh, in, in case someone says this. Okay, we need to, we need to pray, have this sort of faith. Uh, nevertheless, this event was a great manifestation of God's power through his apostle Paul. It was no doubt a, a work of God. It was a sign and wonder. But the thing is, that's very fascinating to me 
Look at how this uh, miracle was interpreted. They see this uh, lame man healed, and so do, they, do the crowd say, okay, uh, this message that Paul's bringing uh, must be the truth. Uh, we'll believe whatever he says, uh, this Jesus we'll believe in. Uh, no, that's not what they say. They, they say the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus. Um, Paul they called Hermes. There was, um, some decades before this time, the Roman poet uh, Ovid, who uh, wrote of this uh, legend that was very commonly known in this area, that uh, Zeus, the chief god of the Greek, Greeks, and Hermes, uh, Zeus's son, who was the, uh, the uh, messenger, uh, came to this area even, and uh, uh, came incognito, disguised as common uh, folk, and sought shelter in this particular village, and they were uh, ignored and rejected by everyone in the village, except for this elderly, elderly couple, uh, Philemon and, and Bacchus, who uh, took him in and, and gave them food and shelter. Um, as judgment for this village, they, uh, Zeus and Hermes sent a, a flood, and everyone was killed in this village except for Philemon and Bacchus. They lived, they, they lived and uh, when they died, they became two trees, as, as the uh, legend goes. They were very familiar with this, um, this legend, and so they were thinking, they see uh, uh, Barnabas, who is more of an imposing character, and um, Paul, who is uh, smaller, but he was the communicator, so they thought he must be Hermes, the, the chief speaker. And so you see this, this miracle used by God. This was no doubt a, a power of God, a sign and wonder from the, from the Lord through Paul, and yet it was misinterpreted. And I, I, you know, I think about that, and you know, uh, one one lesson that I see, and there's there's maybe several here, but one that stood out in my mind is is this: um, the the relief of physical needs may support the gospel, but it never replaces the gospel. The relief of a physical need may support the gospel; it never replaces the proclamation of the gospel. We've already seen that, you know, it might be presumptuous to, to have this miraculous gift of healing, but we can help out that lame man in other ways. We can uh, provide a wheelchair. We can provide a crutch. We can, we can make the church uh, wheelchair accessible. And this is, these are great and wonderful things that we can do and should try to do. But this caring and meeting of physical needs uh, never replaces the gospel proclamation. This, this lame man experienced the power of God in his life, but he did not understand, uh, and, and the crowds, I would say, did not understand the message of the gospel. And it was obvious from what they said. Uh, Jesus says, Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so you see that just because you see something miraculous does not necessarily mean that it is of the Lord. We must be on our guard. Does, does, what is the message with the miracle? What is the message with the social ministry? Is it, is it the gospel of the scriptures? The relief of physical needs may support the gospel, but it never replaces the gospel. At the same time, I don't want to belittle social ministry in the name of Christ. This is something we should do and is done. I'm thankful uh, of the things that I hear um, uh, in the church and people that are involved with. I, I think of uh, Grant Henson and, and the ministry to the homeless, and, and it's just a wonderful thing. 
uh, that he does. And if you ever meet with Grant, uh, he, he, has, he, he, gives, he proclaims the gospel to those men. And it's just so very obvious. Um, and, and others, um, with Stephen Rayte, with the, the senior saints, um, um, social ministries, but always there's a proclamation of the gospel. Uh, we prayed this morning in, in Sunday school with the roar, uh, uh, meeting, uh, being with kids and teaching them sports. But it, it's also included in that is the message, the proclamation of the gospel. We must be sure that anything we do as far as social ministry goes is not the gospel in and of itself unless the gospel message is also shared. Social ministry is an hors d'oeuvre to the main course of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. It may support the gospel, it may adorn the gospel, but it never replaces the gospel. If you, if you leave out the message, if you leave out the message of the gospel, misunderstandings can arise. They did arise here in Lystra, and they would have continued if Paul did not confront the, the misunderstanding. The first point we hear, we see the, the, mis, the misunderstanding of the gospel. Next, we see a, a tailored introduction uh, to the gospel. Tailored introduction to the gospel. And let me, let me continue on reading, uh, starting um, in verse uh, 14. But when the uh, apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, uh, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea that is, all in, that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Um, Paul and Barnabas, they did not pick up immediately that they were perceived as gods. They were, they were, the crowds were speaking in their native Lyconian language, but they realized when the, the priest comes to uh, uh, bring a sacrifice and before them, they realize what's going on. They realize this blasphemous uh, Action And so they, they respond, uh, tearing their garments to show their, their um, terror at this uh, sight and proclaim uh, this message of what I see, uh, a tailored uh, introduction to the gospel. Just two, two quick observations that I see here. Um, he says there again, verse 15, men, are, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. We get just a select, I believe a select message here from, from Saul. Paul no doubt preached the gospel of Christ here in Lystra. It's not laid out explicitly here in the text, but rest assured, wherever he went, he preached the good news, which is Christ died on the cross. He, he rose again from the, from the grave. If you uh, look in Acts 13, it was more specifically laid out, this, this gospel. Um, but what I see here is just a, one observation is there uh, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Here we, we got this beginning. Um, um, Paul is speaking on this idea of turning from these vain things. He's speaking of repentance. Repentance being that um, change of heart and mind towards sin. Confessing uh, our sins, our, our, our error. And turning away from that and turning to, to the Lord. This message of a repentance is not 
a popular message in today's pulpit. Uh, just last week, I was listening uh, to a sermon um, online from a very uh, popular preacher, many of you would, would know, and preaching at a, a very uh, popular church, and this particular church is just growing tremendously, and um, the, the message was uh, on forgiveness, embracing um, Christ's forgiveness, and uh, forgetting your past, and um, it's not so much what was said as what was left out, what is not said often that I hear, and that was a message of repentance, a message of we need to confess our sins, not just forget our sins, just slide them under the rug, and, and, and it's okay, uh, but a message of repentance. We need to like, confess our sins and be willing to turn from our sins. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, his message was summarized, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ himself had the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ later says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This message is a, is a message that's not uh, proclaimed from today's pulpit, from, from many churches, sadly. And as it says in the scriptures, uh, people in the last days will accumulate for themselves teachers that will uh, tickle their ears uh, with messages that they want to hear and not that what they need to hear. In Paul's message, there's this idea, this picture of this message of repentance. Next observation I, I see here is Paul gives a, a quick picture of who God is. He says there, uh, should, uh, that you should turn from these uh, vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea that is uh, in them. Uh, notice how Paul talks to this crowd. Remember, this is a Gentile city. He's primarily preaching to non-Jews, to Gentiles. It's, he does not say um, um, this God who is the, the God of the father of Abraham, of Isaac and uh, Jacob. These were, these were not Jews. They were not familiar with Jewish history. That would be a foreign to them. You hear that message in the last chapter when he was preaching with Jews. He has to go back further. He has to go back to creation and speak of this God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, I realize from when this was written and uh, some 1,800 years after this, uh, this uh, theory has come out. Um, uh, by Darwin, this theory of evolution. And uh, so when we share with a, a friend, uh, some will uh, push back at this very point. There is, there is no creator. They, they believe in evolution. And, uh, you know, there are, certain, there are certain arguments that you could uh, go through with them and very good arguments, and I commend those to you. But um, I, I would say just, just remember this. Um, no, no one's ever born an evolutionist. They, they are taught um, evolution. The scripture says in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, and let me just uh, read in verse 18 and the following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain to us. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, 
so that they are without excuse. We are all without excuse by just the the creation that we see around us. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. No one is born in evolution. You're taught this uh, idea of evolution. Uh, Someone may say, well, no one's born a creationist. Well, I would say... Uh, no, no, a child is, is in, intuitively uh, the idea of creation are bent towards that. You, you take a child to the zoo and you look at those animals and you see the elephant and the zebra and the lion and you see that monkey, they inherently see that there's something different about that monkey that's unlike. That's not Uncle Larry in the, in the zoo. Research uh, bears that out. If you, if you look at that, even um, evolutionists, Richard Dawkins, he knows this and says that's why we must uh, get uh, earlier into schools while they're, while they're uh, still in elementary age and propose this, this idea of evolution because no, he knows that people are bent towards that there is a higher power and it's very evident in the creation that we see so that we are without excuse. And so you talk to your friend Keep pointing to the beauty and the design of nature and help them come back to, and realize, you know, what, what, what made the change. What, what, uh, there was at some point a change where you receive that, that teaching of evolution. Come back to that simple belief of a child um, that knows we are wholly different from a tree or a rock or a, a monkey. But we were made in the image of God, made to reflect that image of God back to others. So we see this, um, this picture that he pictures uh, who God is. And uh, continuing on in that verse, and uh, wow, time is running out here. But uh, let me just quickly go on. Uh, <clears throat> verse um, 15, In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And Paul, he's pictured the, the, the majestic power of God in creation and his wisdom and might. And he's also picturing his goodness, his common grace that we've all experienced in the, in the regular common uh, uh, joys of life. I, I think of, of my, my son Titus, he's almost uh, two right now. And uh, if, if he's uh, well-fed and he's had a good night of sleep and he has his loving and no one's telling him what to do, he is happy, okay? And there's a, there's a big smile. I, I see him yesterday. I picture my mind in his yesterday. He had his Hess truck, and we got the batteries in it, so the lights were going, the sirens going, and he's just a ball of joy. You just look at him, and he's smiling, and you can chase him, and he, he goes, takes off running. Just, he's not thinking about what's happening in the world. He doesn't understand. Okay? You go into the nursery and, well, maybe you got to go to someone older, maybe Tori. She's older, three. And she's, you go to her and um, she's not worried about Social Security, if it'll be there for her. She's just, uh, you know, one moment to the next and there's a, a sense of joy. And as adults, we, we have those um, senses of joys. And, um, uh, but often it's, it's, 
We're riddled with the, the, the difficulties of life. But those joys that we experienced, those, those wonderful joys, are just a, a quick picture of what the Lord would have for us. Real joy. Romans 16, 11. In your presence there are, there's joy, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God is a good God. If, if you're not experiencing the joy of the, of the Lord, seek, seek his face because um, he would have, he is a good God. He, he wants you to have joy. And, and, and the amazing thing is that, that brings him glory when you have your joy in him, in him and not in the things of themselves. Paul is pointing to this mighty and this powerful God who is uh, also a giver of joy and gladness in the things that he provides, the common graces of life. And um, if you'll permit me to go very quickly here, uh, uh, it's amazing how time flies here. But verse 3, the response to the gospel, and I'm just going to cover it really uh, quick. And uh, so we see that um, they, they, they think that um, Barnabas and Paul are these gods. Um, Paul stops this from... from um, confronts them on this misunderstanding. And what happens here, let me read in verse uh, 19 uh, quickly. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with uh, Barnabas to uh, uh, Derby. And so here's one response of the, to the gospel. Well, they reject the gospel. You, you have these Jews who come all the way from Antioch and Iconium. It's amazing to me when I thought about it. And if um, you could look better on a, on a map and uh, see that. They, the, the, the ones from Antioch, where they had previously been, they traveled some 120 miles. And so people from Lystra traveled to Antioch, 120 miles away, and they say, hey, we got this, this guy here, um, Paul, and he's preaching about Christ. And say, wait a minute, he was here in Antioch not uh, maybe a few weeks ago. And they get this uh, gang of a, Jew, a Jewish mob together, and they said, let's go to, let's travel 120 miles and go to Lystra, and let's take care of Paul. We, we drove him out of town. He's, let's, let's get rid of him. They, go, they have to go through Iconium, and they get to Iconium and say, hey, he came here also preaching the gospel. In fact, we had a plan to stone him, and we were, but he escaped. Let's join up with you, and we'll go with you, and let's go to Lystra and take care of Paul. And that's exactly what happened. They hated the message of Paul so much, they hated the messenger as well. This is one response to the gospel, not just um, a rejection, but a, even a hatred of the, the message and of the messenger. That's one response. And quickly, there's, there's another response, and that is there are people who believe. And you see that kind of implied in the text. He's stoned, he's left, he, they thought he was dead, verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, they, they, he rose up and he came, entered back in the city. There are some who believe. This, the, the gospel seed is, is, is put out there, and, um, and uh, some don't believe, some do believe. And um, uh, so the, these uh, disciples come to Christ, and they, they, um, they help Paul and minister, minister to Paul. Uh, just really quick on this last point, there's a very response to the gospel, and then there's, there's a follow-up to the gospel. And, and th- this, this here, you could do a whole sermon on it. Let me finish it. Verse 21, when they had uh, preached the gospel to that city, 
So he, he went to Derby um, and had many, many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had pointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And uh, there is so much there, but this, I'm just going to cover it really quick here. When they had preached the gospel, they, they arrived to Derby. They preached the gospel. Many come to Christ, and they're confronted with the decision now. If you could see it on a map, you could probably see it better. You could look in the back of your Bibles and, and, and check that with me. But they're in Derby, and they had this choice. If I had a laser pointer, I would do it, uh, point it to exactly where. But it's um, uh, right there in the. It kind of ends right there in the middle of Turkey. They could have went uh, east. They could have went east around the Mediterranean Sea and then down south back to their home church in Antioch of Syria. That would have been the easier route. Okay? If you were the life coach of Paul, you would say, okay, this is what you need to do. Okay? Paul didn't want to do that. He went in the opposite direction. He went in the opposite direction. He went to the north and the west. He needs to go south and east to get back to his home church. Why? Why did he do that? He thought of those young converts in the cities that he just was in. And he went back, and as it says, he strengthened the souls of the disciples. He encouraged them to continue in the faith. This, is, this, this idea of the faith is the body of the whole counsel of God. Uh, Paul had so much to teach them. He, he knew the Old Testament scripture. They pointed to Christ. He, he's, uh, he knows, he's heard the, the, the stories of Christ, the teachings of Christ. He has met with Peter. He has spent time with Peter. Peter, you really walked in that water? Yes, I did. And uh, he's sharing these things to establish them, to confirm them in the faith. He shared about his conversion in the story. He goes on and on to encourage them and exhort them in the faith. He felt that necessary at the risk of his life. He still had the bruises. He could point to the scars, the marks of, of, of Christ. And it continues. He, um, he, he appoints elders for them in every church. I think I've heard of that somewhere. And he, is, he, he makes sure that there is a leadership, that they they're, they're continue to grow and equip for the ministry of the faith. And then he says that he prays and fasts uh, and commits them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Paul realizes that this is a God work in their life. This is not just Paul. This is not just, it is teaching. He's a vessel. He's a necessary vessel, but God must work in these new disciples in order for them to grow in the faith and, and to be disciples and established in the faith. He, he knows God must do it. It is, it is God uh, who causes both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. This is a God thing for us to grow. And so he prays and commits them to the Lord and leaves it to the Lord. Second, third missionary, he comes back through. And just, uh, I keep saying quickly, but uh, do we disciple? Do we believe in discipleship? If, if I was um, talking to a basketball team, do you play basketball? Well, of course. Do you, if, if I was talking to a, a group of bikers, do you ride a bike? Yes. Do you, if, if I was talking to a dentist, do you clean teeth? Yes. Are you a Christian? Do, you, do we disciple? Christ said, follow to his disciples, follow me. He doesn't leave it there. He says, I will make you fishers of men. He intimately connects 
the picture. You want to follow, follow Christ, follow me, then you'll become a fisher of men. And you're going to catch men and help them to, help them to follow Christ so that they can be fishers of men. So that the other people can also follow Christ and be fishers of men and, and so on and so on. And Christ's command, go therefore and make disciples of, of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And so I think in, in this, in this uh, quick uh, look uh, of Paul's first missionary journey, I, I think we see in capsule this, um, this, in this proclamation of the gospel, we'll see misunderstandings. So we, how, do we, how do we combat that? Well, we, we have to share the message. We have to share the message. And then we, we realize uh, their, their state of mind, their state of heart, and there's a, there's a tailored introduction to that gospel. There's a, there's a the message of repentance. There's a picture of who God is. And realize there's going to be a varied response. Some will reject. Some will hate. Some will believe. But then the piece that's often missing is this idea of follow-up, persistent follow-up to make sure that they are confirmed in the faith. Let that be our mission here is, as a church to see that God would be glorified through the discipleship, the conversion, the discipleship of believers. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we praise you this morning. We thank you for this time that we could uh, go through your word, Lord. I pray that you would do your work in my heart and in our hearts. God, that you would be glorified here at Park Baptist Church. We thank you for the the, the many things that we are seeing around us where people are proclaiming the gospel and not only stopping that, but uh, seeing people and discipling people in Christ, Lord. And so we pray that would grow and continue and uh, that would be uh, a passion of our heart. And so we just commit this time to you of invitation and pray for those who would need to come forward in prayer, Lord, that you would give them the freedom to do that. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for Christ, Lord, and pray this in his name. Amen.